We're grateful for everyone who supports us. Thanks to all our sponsors. This is an ICRT podcast. Enjoy the show. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by Xiao Xin Chung. Hello, good to see you again. And Ross Feingold. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing calls for Taiwan's inclusion in the International Civil Aviation Organization, an official delegation from Taiwan attending the funeral of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, allegations of government meddling in Mirror TV's broadcast license application, a live broadcast shouting match outside the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office involving an outspoken chat show host, Taipei Mayor Kerwin Zhe opening a new emergency coordination office for wartime, and a Pokemon-fashioned jetliner. But we'll begin with splashy headlines, both here in Taiwan and in international media, reading Paraguay calls for Taiwan to invest one billion US dollars to remain allies, and Paraguay walks back, comment calling for Taiwan funding support this week. Now, the headlines came after the Financial Times newspaper published an interview with Paraguay's president, Mario Abdel Benitez, in which, according to the UK-based newspaper, he called on Taiwan to invest that said amount in his country to help him resist enormous pressure to switch diplomatic recognition to China. The Financial Times cited the president as saying we are working with the president of Taiwan so that the Paraguayan people feel the real benefits of the strategic alliance. And it went on to quote Abdo as saying that there is Taiwanese investment of more than six billion US dollars in countries which don't have diplomatic relations with Taiwan. We want from that one billion dollars to be put in Paraguay. And he went on to tell the newspaper that it will help us build the argument about the importance of this strategic alliance with Taiwan. Taiwan. Now, Paraguay's foreign minister has since been cited as saying that his country and Taiwan are bound by common values instead of money. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here in Taiwan on Thursday said that the foreign minister of Paraguay told Taiwan's ambassador in Ascension that the relationship between the two allies is built on shared values and close bilateral cooperation and there is no quid pro quo between both countries. Now, according to the foreign ministry, the clarification was made immediately after the Financial Times story was published and the spokeswoman told reporters in Taipei that the Paraguayan foreign minister also told Taiwan's ambassador to the country that the point the country's president was making was that Paraguay was the perfect location for Taiwanese people and business owners to make investments to enter the larger South American market. Well, so Ross, I mean, obviously he might have been misquoted and the Financial Times might have misunderstood what he said, but still, obviously people were a bit nervous about this. Well, I, I don't think he was misquoted. The only political leaders who get misquoted by global media are the political leaders here in Taiwan, apparently, since they have a recurring problem when they talk to foreign media of being misquoted, according to them. Uh, I, I don't think he needs to, or his government needs to walk back anything they said. His basis message was, our country is open for business to foreign investors, and we have this relationship with Taiwan. But frankly, uh, we don't see that much investment from Taiwan. And oh, by the way, you alluded to the $6 billion the, uh, number. What he's basically saying is, I saw the headline in the last few months about Taiwan pledging to invest $200 million in Lithuania and setting up a billion dollars in financing for Taiwan companies to uh, do business in Central and Eastern Europe. And my country has been speaking up for Taiwan constantly at the UN and other global forums or uh, or multilateral 
several organizations that Taiwan is excluded from. We've kept this relationship for decades. And Lithuania, which doesn't have diplomatic relations with you, suddenly gets this great largesse from Taiwan simply because they agreed uh, that an office in Lithuania could be called the Taiwanese Representative Office rather than uh, the Taiwan Economic and Cultural Office. Uh, it's not a surprise that he's he's raising this and he's basically saying if, if Taiwan companies are, are, are not going to make this kind of investment in our country, we, we, we know that Chinese companies will the moment we establish diplomatic relations. It's a very practical thing to say. And, and again, Taiwan should have expected that the moment it offered uh, Lithuania and, and Central and Eastern Europe uh, the, this financial package of investment plus uh, financing, low cost, low interest rate financing for Taiwan companies to do business there. Not a surprise that uh, the remaining countries with formal diplomatic relations would say, are we going to get the same thing? Not, not these relatively small amounts of Taiwan aid or investment that we've seen. Yeah, I totally agree with Russ. I think it's not not a surprise, and nothing really in diplomatic circles happens uh, uh, was a surprise, right? Because uh, I think this has been in the works for a while, and I think in in the back channels, uh, they probably have been discussing uh, terms like this uh, constantly. Um, and but but I'm still finding that the Bagway has a need to actually express this desire to a foreign press because they they must have understand that this will create another pressure in Taiwan to uh, look more into this kind of uh, so-called uh, money diplomacy and uh, the Taiwanese government will be under a lot of uh, pressure internally uh, to, to not to do this so-called quid pro quo. So I, I think it's going to create an opposite effect that both countries desires. Um, but just like Ross said, I think uh, Bagua has a, a, a legitimate you know, complaint against, you know, Taiwan not uh, uh, investing enough in our allies, but uh, uh, on the other hand, promising a, a lot of aids to uh, uh, countries with non-diplomatic uh, relations. But yeah, so this is this is something that really need to resolve in the back channels. And of course, Ross, probably in the next few weeks, we're going to read in the newspaper that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Ministry of Economic Affairs and other government agencies are now leading a delegation to Ascension. I believe in response to what the president, Paraguay president said, that they did emphasize that, oh, but a delegation did go X months ago or years ago. And, oh, we have a a fund to help women-led, small and medium-sized businesses we just announced. And again, the dollar amounts are relatively small, like $5 million. Problem for Taiwan companies in Paraguay is it's just not a attractive investment destination. I don't say that by way of criticism of Paraguay, but uh, the strengths that Taiwan companies generally have, uh, manufacturing, whether it's traditional industry or, or in the high-tech industry, you're not going to do that in Paraguay for a number of, of reasons, such as location. Um, uh, the workforce is not uh, trained for that. The logistics of getting product out of Paraguay would be very difficult. Paraguay is, is great with its its ag industry, um, but there's only so much ag products that, that Taiwan could buy. Taiwan companies are not going to acquire um, the, the ag companies in Paraguay. They're not they're not really looking for that. But but Taiwan companies are not going to go and and, and uh, uh, spend a billion dollars uh, taking a 45 percent stake in, in a big Paraguay food exporter. Nor is it the strength of Taiwan companies to go there and and set up a big 
beef processing company or some such thing. Uh, there, there really aren't a lot of Taiwan companies in that space, and they don't do that in a grand scale overseas, with some exceptions. You know, like a, a president group, they make beverages in Thailand, but they're not going to go spend you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars building a beverage factory in, in Paraguay. So it, it's really difficult. And then there, there's the, the, the one thing that China does well. Uh, uh, I don't say that necessarily by way of a compliment, but uh, one thing they could do that Taiwan simply cannot is China could offer infrastructure funding. And you know, we could have a, a lengthy discussion about debt trap diplomacy and, and, and the negative things that come with that. But uh, China could call up Paraguay today and say, Say, you know, we're willing to uh, spend billions of dollars. Some of that will be in loans. Some of that will be in equity. We expect you to put in some money of your own, Paraguay. Uh, but we're we're ready to build a new railroad line or a highway, uh, and uh, this will be very attractive to Paraguay. And it's not something that Taiwan would be able to match. And Xiao, do you see that happening in the months coming? Beijing will be jumping on this. I definitely will. I mean, uh, and I believe probably has been already. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, Paraguay might, might have seen that there's a, a growing, large and larger alliance, you know, around diplomatic countries with uh, alliance between uh, Taiwan and U.S. growing stronger and stronger. Uh, I think this, uh, you know, this publicizing of, of, of this uh, this press is probably a way to call on, you know, probably some other countries like the U.S. to invest more in Paraguay. I think, I think Xia makes a really interesting point about you know, Paraguay is looking at uh, the U.S. and other countries are giving a big embrace to Taiwan recently, the whole freedom versus evil mm-hmm. kind of narrative. But the neighborhood that Paraguay is in, uh, a number of countries uh, are not on board with U.S. anti-China policy or the whole you know, anti-China alliance of the U.S., Taiwan, Japan, Australia. Uh, so countries uh, like Argentina or Brazil and some of the other countries in the region, they're just not on board with that. What, what, the reason why I'm bringing this up is if Paraguay was to make this switch, and they know this, they, they don't need us on ICRT to tell them this. Uh, if they make that switch, yeah, the U.S. Will, will moan and groan and there'll be a bunch of U.S. Uh, senators and representatives who criticize uh, uh, Paraguay. They're not going. Paraguay's not going to get criticism from its neighbors, who almost all of them uh, you have to go a little bit further north from Paraguay to find another country that has diplomatic relations with Taiwan in, in Central America, you know, Belize, Honduras, Guatemala, and several countries in the Caribbean. But it, it's its neighbors are not going to criticize. Paraguay uh, and some of the politicians in those countries, again, rightly or wrongly, they're they're probably they're probably pretty happy with their relationship with China and, and specifically specifically with export of ag products and infrastructure inbound infrastructure investment. Uh, so Paraguay, obviously, they know the U.S. would criticize them, but I think they're they're also relying on the fact that well, we'd have a good relationship with China the moment we make that change the economic relationship. And our neighbors are going to be, yeah, great, okay. And then, you know, uh, just to make a final point, what will happen is there will be criticism from the U.S. The State Department spokesman will, 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 make, will make a statement about how awful it is. A bunch of congressmen, as I said, will make a statement how awful it is. And then in Paraguay or in its neighbors, they're, they're going to say, hey, you gringos, here we go again. You're telling us how to run our part of the world 
You know, you're bringing up your whole Monroe Doctrine. You're telling us how we can conduct our foreign relations. So I think Paraguay is also relying that on that as well. They're going to have a lot of support from its neighbors, and, and there'd be a lot of negativity towards the inevitable U.S. criticism. Moving on now, the International Civil Aviation Organization opened its Triennial Assembly in Montreal this week, and Taiwan was there, albeit on the sidelines, as the island was not invited to the Chinwag due to its not being a United Nations-affiliated country. Now, Civil Aeronautics Administration Director General Lin Junliang is heading a delegation to Montreal this week to promote Taiwan's inclusion in the global aviation body, and reports have been saying that he's been holding talks with representatives from several member states, and they include Canada, Japan, the Czech Republic, the European Union and the United States. Now, Lin's efforts are being backed by Taiwan's top envoy to Canada, Harry Tsung, and he told reporters earlier this week that Chinese military incursions into the skies near Taiwan pose a threat to its aviation safety and make it imperative for Taiwan to be included in the International Civil Aviation Organization. Now, this week also, US Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg called for Taiwan to be allowed to participate in the organization during the assembly and Speaking on the opening day of the event, Buddha Judge said the US believes all of the international civil aviation's important stakeholders, particularly those who administer critical airspace like Taiwan, should have the opportunity to participate meaningfully. Now, Germany's Minister for Digital and Transport Affairs also called on the global aviation body to include all parties, but he didn't mention Taiwan in his comments. France's Transport Minister also said much the same without mentioning Taiwan. New Zealand's representative to the event also told members basically the same thing that everyone should be allowed to join it while japan's state minister of land infrastructure and transport and tourism also said tokyo supports participation in the organization of all members of the international civil aviation community and he also did not mention Taiwan. But that hasn't stopped the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here in Taiwan saying although none of those officials are mentioned at the island, it still considers the comments to have been referring to Taiwan's absence and calling for Taiwan's inclusion. So Xiao, I mean obviously the US delegate mentioned Taiwan by name, the others didn't, but the Ministry of Foreign Affairs says they were talking about Taiwan. They definitely were. I mean, uh, this is the very first time that you know, Taiwan's name been mentioned in, in I. IKO, so uh, it, it's very uh, a remarkable milestone because uh, if you count all the organizations, IKO, WTO, WHO, uh, a lot of countries in recent years has been pushing more and more for for Taiwan's involvement, and this is really points to the fact that the community, in, the international community, has come to the understanding that uh, Taiwan is a critical partner in the, in the war affairs and should not be allowed to be left out in all this participation of the international events. But Xiao, why do, why do you think that the French, the Japanese, the Germans, and the New Zealand, why do you think they did not mention the word Taiwan? I think they are treading a fine line. I mean, because uh, they, they still, uh, IKO is still a body under the United Nations. So they, they have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, previous policy they have to adhere to. But they are, they are really working the fine line and trying to express the fact that inclusions of all international bodies should be in, including this uh, international event. It's, it's really pointed to something that is a seismic change. And Ross, of course, mention of Taiwan by Mr. Buddha Judge, but no mention of Taiwan from the other countries. It's broadly analogous to what transpires at other uh, multilateral forums, whether it's the UN uh, or uh, the World Health Assembly, uh, basically any forum that Taiwan is excluded from. So prior to the meeting, very often there'll be resolutions by parliaments or in 
the case of the U.S., the U.S. Congress. There'll be statements by foreign ministry spokespersons uh, supporting Taiwan. Uh, and sometimes there'll be statements on the floor at the event. Uh, and it just varies by what, what the, by country, what they're willing to say and how they describe it. Uh, or another typical example uh, is when there's a, a leader summit and they issue a lengthy statement about all the global problems, North Korea, hope you denuclearize Iran. We hope you return to the nuclear deal. Uh, we hope there's peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. And so they always refer to a body of water, right? They never talk about the people of Taiwan or <laughs> even dare say that there's actually a government here, right? So they say, uh, we hope there's stability in the water, which doesn't make me feel really safe when they make those statements. So uh, countries just have a pattern of, of um, not slamming the table, right? They don't pound the table and say, this has to be done in some format that Taiwan absolutely has to be here or we're going to walk out. I mean, they, they never go that far, right? And uh, uh, then Taiwan does something which I've repeatedly uh, and publicly said is, is, is a bad thing to do. And you mentioned it, Gavin, because they're doing it again. It's the pity party, right? So they, whether it's an environmental meeting, uh, uh, less than a year ago, the, the COP26 in Scotland, Taiwan's not, not allowed to participate, uh, despite all the things the UK government said about its relationship with Taiwan. So we get people from the Environmental Protection Administration going to, to, to the event and having, having a, well, they don't go actually into the event, right? They, they rent a hotel ballroom or conference room nearby and they have the pity party because the government officials from other countries come and pat Taiwan on the back and say how awful it is that you weren't able to attend. Same thing happens at the World Health Assembly, same thing happens at the United Nations, and now the same, things ha same thing is happening with the Civil Aviation Organization. And I, I think Taiwan should uh, uh, be more vociferous in saying uh, you don't want us, we don't want you. Instead, Taiwan is doing the, the complete opposite, which is begging to be admitted into organizations that will not let Taiwan in because of China's uh, power, for lack of a, a better term, within these organizations. And we just go through the same cycle every single time. Uh, and people make the, the, not only does Taiwan have the pity party, but then people here in Taiwan, however well-intentioned, they make the same arguments every time, right? Taiwan could be a great participant in the UN system. Taiwan could be a great participant in the World Health Assembly, and we shouldn't leave the 23 million people of Taiwan out, even though Taiwan seems to be doing okay with medical care without being in the WHO. And, and, and the same thing with, with the International Civil Aviation Organization. The same argument is made. Oh, well, if, if Taiwan is not in, then you know, it's dangerous for air safety. It's dangerous for passenger safety. Aircraft are not crashing into each other because due to Taiwan's absence from this organization. So Taiwan's air traffic control and, and aviation regulators still able to talk to the regulators in other countries. Air traffic control is still able to, able to hand aircraft off to the, the air traffic control in nearby countries as well. Uh, we seem to be doing okay with tracking the bad guys and ladies uh, who might be flying around. So Taiwan is not letting uh, the Osama bin Ladens uh, of the world come to Taiwan simply because Taiwan's not part of uh, the organization, not able to track these people, right? Taiwan still has great police cooperation with, with other countries as well. Uh, so the arguments don't work. The methodology doesn't work, but we keep doing the same thing. 
But of course, Shao, while Ross might have an argument there, one could one could suggest <laughs> that this event is actually triennial, so it's a lot cheaper than the World Health Organization things they run. <laughs> yeah, speaking of a pity party, I think that that's the, the traditional, the sad traditional way of uh, the way Ministry of Foreign Affairs does things, right? Because they have to put up uh, like a quote-unquote pity party, like Ross said, so that to prove it to their boss, which is the president, that they were doing something, they're working on this and trying to push Taiwan into all these organizations. But on the other hand, I mean, for example, if you look at the way the parliament is doing in the in the open parliament, uh, conference that they put out last year. It's not to throw a pity party, uh, but actually to throw a, a parallel a conference, the parallel to the ones that the the, the UN uh, sanction ones. So that that when we we host our own party, we host our own conference and invite all the uh, international players to come to Taiwan. So I think that's probably another way to think about this. Well, now I know why I wasn't invited because if I had been invited, I would have gotten up on the stage and said, "This is a pity party. Everybody go home." <laughs> actually, I. I, I I heard you weren't invited because they didn't have any vegetarian canapes. <laughs> anyway, moving on now to an event that Taiwan was invited to, that being the funeral this week of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in Tokyo. Now, the three-member delegation consisted of former legislative speakers Su Jia-chuan and Wang Jingping, as well as Taiwan's top representative to Japan, Frank Scher. Now, President Tsai Ing-wen appointed the delegation in September, and apparently they offered flowers at Abe's state funeral in Tokyo as the host of the ceremony referred to the delegation as coming from Taiwan. So Ross, of course, they went to the funeral. It was not a lot of media coverage here. The next day it was on the front page of most of the newspapers as the lead story, but it wasn't a big splashy story. That's a that's a fair observation. Um, the, the splashy story was when Vice President Lai uh, went to pay his condolences in the days immediately after uh, Abe Shinzo was assassinated, and uh, you know that 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 actually was a breakthrough, right? That that was worth uh, uh, Taiwan saying, "Great, our vice president was finally able to go to Japan." Of course, uh, the Taiwan government, as a courtesy to Japan, said he went in his private capacity, as if anybody believes that. Right? Just be honest and say he went there as the vice president. Uh, this delegation just doesn't compare. Uh, it, was, it was a bunch of formers, right? Uh, it's a little hard to get to get excited uh, about uh, you know, former legislative UN speakers. And even though Su Jia-chuan uh, currently has a role with, with the uh, you know, Japan relations, uh, the, the public is not going to get excited about these guys uh, going there. Um, Xie Changting, Frank Xie, is the representative in Japan. So he's already uh, frequently interacting with uh, Japanese members of parliament or government, more junior government officials, as he frequently reminds us on his Facebook. Uh, he seems to have lots of time for Facebook. Uh, I'm not sure how much time that leaves him for diplomatic relations. Uh but, but uh, you know, these guys just don't inspire the public. Uh, there was no breakthrough here. And there is a reality, and it, it, is, uh, it does link to our earlier conversation about the International Civil Aviation Organization meeting. And that is, uh, yeah, Taiwan was there, but Taiwan was there at a substantially 
uh, lower level of representation than, than other countries. So the U.S. vice president was there. Uh, maybe, maybe if the queen hadn't passed away, uh, vice, uh, sorry, President Biden would have attended this event. Uh, uh, understandably, it probably was too much travel uh, for Biden. I didn't say that because of his age. I just meant because he's a very busy man and he recently flew to London. Uh, but but the, the the level of representation from Taiwan is, is just a lot lower than than other countries. So it's it's a little hard to get excited about it. So Shao, were you expecting this to be a bigger, a, a splashier story, or do you think it got the coverage it got? Well, I think everybody's making a big deal that the Japanese announced this delegation as Taiwan, not the Republic of China, and then certainly pissed off uh, China or Chinese uh, diplomatic, you know. Uh, chief um and I, I do think it's it's a it's a it's a good direction you know that um, the the taiwanese delegation in in foreign countries getting recognized as uh, as taiwanese but uh, but not the republic of china so that that that, that is in line with uh, the trend that the, the taiwanese representative office around the world is getting uh, renamed uh, as a taiwan representative office um so in that respect i, I would say it's a, it's a big deal I mean, it's a, it's a healthy direction, and I hope that trend continues. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan this week. And when Shinzo Abe's state funeral and the International Civil Aviation Organization and Paraguay weren't making front pages of the local newspapers, allegations that the government meddled in the National Communications Commission's review of Mirror TV's broadcast license application was. Now, new Power Party chairwoman Chen Jiahua released a recording of a conversation allegedly made during a Mirror Media shareholders meeting in December of last year. And Chen has been claiming that clips of that recording released to the media are of Mirror TV chairman Pei Wei. One clip includes a person saying that President Tsai Ing-wen told Premier Su Jung Chung that the broadcast licence issue had been taken care of. Another has a person saying that the Premier had met with NCC chairperson to discuss the matter while a third recording has an individual saying that the premier had asked former dpp secretary general hong yao fu to meet with the ncc to discuss the broadcast license application now both the presidential office and the premier denied any involvement with the presidential office issuing a statement saying that tying Wen never discussed the issue with the premier and the president has no involvement in individual cases while the premier told reporters that he has never been involved in Mirror TV's broadcast licence process and never received a phone call from the President approving the application. However, the KMT is calling for an investigation now into whether the activities alleged in the recordings violated laws against influence peddling and party chairman Eric Jew told reporters that the KMT will set up an investigative committee in order to find out the truth. So, Ross... What truth is to find out? And, of course, I'll get to you in a minute, Shao, because, you, of course, you used to be a member of this political party. So, anyway, Ross, so uh, the well, truth, will it out? The, the truth here first is, as you just mentioned, you know, it's just hilarious. Eric, Chu, Lili, Chairman Ju, you're just trying to, you know, 
follow along with the new power party. It's absolutely hilarious. So all, all the hard work in exposing this issue is from the new power party. And the Guomindang can only follow along with the new power party. I mean, how far have you fallen, Guomindang? I mean, you have no ability to oversee or investigate possible wrongdoing. And, and the party that is, is nominally an ally of, of the DPP is exposing us, which, believe me, this this drives the, the DPP and government absolutely crazy. I mean, they are so angry at the MPP when they do this kind of thing. It's kind of like how they, they used to be friends with Koenja and, and now they, you know, they, they, they view him as, as a pro-China you know, enemy and, and you know, the, the bad blood that exists between Koenja and the Taiwan People's Party and the DPP, we see that in the media every day. Uh, so, sorry, Xiao, it looks like your friends over at the MPP are going to become public enemies, number one, by, from the, the mean gene dog. But, the, 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 to, I'm sorry, I'm blabbering along here, Gavin, but to go back to your question, uh, who doesn't believe that uh, the top decision makers in the government didn't discuss this? And, and I say that not by way of criticism, but that that's just basic common sense, and it's just basic politics, right? So, yes, there's the, the legal aspect to, okay, uh, we have an available channel, uh, we have a bunch of applicants, we have uh, uh, regulations about eligibility, we have an NCC review process, okay, we got the application from company A, company B, we'll go down the checklist about, uh, you know, do they submit everything, do they satisfy the criteria, we'll have a vote. Etc. But but the idea that there isn't a political element to this decision would be again it's it's preposterous to suggest that it doesn't have a political element or that the politicians um, didn't discuss this uh, that that maybe that just is illogical to suggest otherwise. Now did did Su Jun Chang talk about it with Tsai Ing Wen? Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know the answer. We don't know what they talk about one-on-one. I mean, I, I operate under under the assumption that they basically talk about everything uh, in any significant political or poly, policy decision. They do discuss privately, kind of like uh, you know, I mentioned the Queen earlier, uh, when the Prime Minister met the Queen every week. They talked about everything, but it stayed within the within their conversation. They never reveal it. So uh, the idea that, that uh, the Premier was not aware of what was going on or his aides are not uh, uh, looking closely at this or, and not reporting to him or that he's not sharing it with the president. Uh, you know, again, I, hard to believe that it wasn't it wasn't discussed. Did, did somebody call up the NCC chairman or, or did the premier or even the president tell the NCC chairman what to do? Well, we'll leave it to Xiao to tell us whether his colleagues will find that tape. Former, <laughs> former colleagues. Yes, that, that, that is a good correction. I do have to correct a lot of um, Rasev. Number one, I, I have resigned from MPP a long time ago, so I don't really uh, talk to people who are still inside. And also, I cannot, I'm not privy to their thought process and their, their investigative process there. Um, and and number two, there, there, there are quite a few angles to this. Uh, one is that um, the people has been very skeptical of um, the government's handling of media, especially the media who are not friendly to them. Uh, if you can look at their uh, their very uh, uh, strong will uh, closure of the uh, the, the Zhongtian um, station, uh, and and, I'm, and right now there there are talks in, in the works that they are going to move the TVBS 
size to a, a later channel, 155 instead of a normal 50 something channel. And that is going to have a lot of impact on their viewership. So, and couple that with this, uh, this issue with the that it might be influenced peddling in the mirror TV's uh, licensing. Uh, it is just not good image, right? Because uh, because um, the government is supposed to you know stay clear of uh, however the media runs their business. Um, so that's number one. And number two is th- this videotape. It really doesn't show anything. Just like Russ said, I mean. Um, because I, I used to I run for a, a, a Taipei City Councilor's office uh, back four years ago, and even I got a lot of people asking for favors for doing this and that. So I can understand that the, the president, all the premiers, they got a lot of people requesting this and that uh, constantly. It doesn't mean that they 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 agree to them or they will actually you know direct their staff to uh, make things come true uh, to to grant their wishes their way. Um, so maybe they just discuss they just talk they just chat um but uh, does the premier or the president actually you know uh you know run over the red tape and then make things happen uh, regardless of all the regulations that any law gets broken um i don't think so but i'll, I'll wait for the investigation the supposed investigation from knt to find out <laughs> yeah suppose it uh, <laughs> as i said i don't think the gomi dog is very good at this this kind of thing so if the if the government is lucky this will just go away <laughs> And the National Communications Commission was also making headlines this week after chat show host Clara Joe accosted, for, accosted basically a former Miss Republic of China. Now, Joe had accused the former Miss Republic of China of having an extramarital affair with basically a former vice premier who happens to be the father of a candidate for the Taipei mayoral election who Clara Joe just simply does not like. Now, while all this was good and well, there we go, this is what she says on her radio show. Anyway, the former Miss Republic of China popped off to the Taipei District Prosecutor's Office this week to file an aggravated defamation lawsuit against Joe. Now... Again, okay, fair enough. Unfortunately, Ross, of course, all this turned into a circus that was broadcast live on television. Yeah, uh, this this kind of thing doesn't happen as often as it used to in in Taiwan. This kind of uh, uh, fighting at at, at, uh, outside a prosecutor's office or at a shareholders meeting of a big company or uh, outside of government agencies. It's a good thing that that, uh, society uh, doesn't uh, handle things with this style as often as it as it used to, but uh, one has to ask, even if we put aside uh, the truthfulness or, or the falsity of uh, Clara Joe's accusations against various individuals, why was she there? To apologize. That's, the what she, that's what she said. She was there to apologize. Well, cynics will say she was there just to get some more media coverage for herself, or she knew that with the media standing there and, and the likelihood that her apology would not be very welcomed. I mean, what did she expect the people to do? She, the people have gone there to request a, a criminal investigation because this could, as you said, this could be criminal defamation under under the current laws. Uh, what, what did... Clara Joe expect that she'd show up with all the media. There's probably like a hundred different uh, journalists there with their news cameras. Did she expect that? I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Don't, so just don't go inside and file that complaint. Just uh, I'm sorry. And can you go home now? Is that what she expected would happen? I, I, I mean, this, this show is uh, someone with, with, with many, many years media experience. 
So she knew what would happen. The other side uh, would not be uh, thrilled to see her, and very likely they would get into some kind of shouting match, and the media would cover it. And, uh, you take your chances. What what might happen there? You know, if you're Clara Joe, maybe you were. Uh, hoping somebody might shove you or something, and then you become the victim, right? You, you know, you just don't know what kind of ha- might happen in this situation. Uh, but you know, okay, if she wanted to apologize, then really uh, uh, the proper way to apologize is, is not a secret. She could have uh, gone on TV or, or the internet, which she has access to, and and made a sincere apology. She could have gone so far as to uh, uh, buy ads in newspapers, which is also a common way to apologize. Very often when a court uh, reaches a judgment against you and requires you to do that. But if she wanted to apologize, she could have taken the initiative uh, to publish a a newspaper ad very sincerely. I guess, uh, uh, Xiao, you've been in politics. You know know what the routine is, right? So I guess you, you, you don't do your hair. You dress very simply. No makeup. Right? No flashy jewelry. You look like... You know, the, the world is crashing down on you and you, know, you just very calmly and sincerely apologize. But going going to, to the courthouse when she knew that uh, Miss Jong and her lawyers were going to be there, uh, really, uh, why would you do it that way if you were sincerely trying to apologize? Well, well let, let me get some few uh, the, the details right here because I, I, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, the, the shouting match is between Clara Chow and the Taipei City Councilwoman Wang Hongwei. She is accompanying Ms. Chan to the prosecutor's office. And uh, it's, 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 the, the match is between the two women. Um, and if that, that, that is the case, then it's both perfectly normal because um, number one, it's election year, election season. And number two, uh, Wang Hongwei, she's running for a re-election. So uh, it makes perfect sense that she's there. It makes perfect sense that she's picking a fight with Clara Chow. And, and the other side of things is why would Cloud Chow apologize? Because if you understand the personality of uh, Ms. Chow, she, she's a fighter. I mean, she's a relentless fighter. Why would she apologize? But So I think the story behind that would be there's some kind of pressure forcing her to, to lay low because she's really dragging the, uh, the Taipei city uh, candidate Chen Shizhong from DPP uh, dragging down his poll numbers because of the past association with uh, with Clara Chow and because all these uh, uh, baseless accusations that Chow is throwing around trying to help uh, the DPP candidate. So I think people are starting to feel a backlash and I think there's some kind of pressure putting on her to lay low and to try to you know not be so aggressive. I think that's one of the reasons why she's you know, to apologize. So uh, and with that I think more all makes sense. It's just election season. That's all. And it's also soap opera season. Well, it was this week on TV. Anyway, moving on again now. And Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur this week inaugurated the city's first emergency coordination office for wartime. And Ross was actually at the event. Yeah, it was an honor to be there to see uh, this office inaugurated, which is supposed to coordinate across city government agencies uh, to to transition from a, a peacetime way of doing things to a wartime way of doing things in, in, in the event that there are hostilities, of course, uh, I always feel compelled to give a disclaimer, like we hope that never happens, but uh, we have to prepare accordingly. Uh, so if, if uh, uh, you know, agencies that are responsible for any issue uh, from the most mundane, like traffic management or, or trash 
removal uh, to more serious stuff like like uh, making sure that there's sufficient food supply and, and people are uh, 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 well taken care of to the best extent possible in air raid shelters because uh, there could be an air raid and you know, hundreds of thousands of people might be in, in air raid shelters and they're going to need medical care and, and food, et cetera, et cetera, while, while they're in shelters. So it's a new office to to uh, uh, coordinate. Uh, unfortunately, it's a little late in the mayor's term. I, it would have been nice if uh, he had thought about this or his team had thought about this a little bit earlier and not like in the last 90 days of his term in office to say, oh, yeah, we are thinking about defense preparedness. But uh, good, good good, for him and good for his team. And, and hopefully other municipal agencies will follow along. Uh, this is a, a very, very long road. I mean, if, if you were to ask whether it's Taipei City, the capital, or other municipal governments, cities or counties, what their internal preparation is uh, to switch to a wartime uh, operational uh, uh, way of doing things, I, I think they would struggle uh, to really respond. Probably the most common response they would give is, uh, 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 and then they would say, go ask the central government. It's, it's not, we're, we're, we're a county government, we're a city government. And, and that's a really bad approach because, like I said, they're going to be closest to, the, to, their, to their residents if there are hostilities. And they do have to still provide uh, services to, to the residents uh, while, while the war is going on. Uh, the central government won't be able to do anything. They'll be defending Taiwan. Uh, so uh, it's a good precedent. And hopefully other municipal governments will, will keep the this process moving along and ultimately uh, help more people understand what 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 needs to be done and how serious these issues are. And I'll mention one more thing, if I may, Gavin, that as part of this office inauguration, uh, we also announced that uh, the Taipei City Fire Department is recruiting foreign residents to uh, serve as volunteers. So all uh, uh, fire departments uh, around Taiwan do have volunteer firemen. Uh, there, there's a training course that people have to go through. Uh, there's annual training you have to do. And then you have to show up a minimum number of hours every year to maintain your status. But if foreigners are wondering how they can get involved um, in, in civil defense in Taiwan, uh, if you speak Mandarin well, uh, you can volunteer for the Taipei City Fire Department. It's, it's a good start. Um, you're not going to be running into burning buildings as a volunteer. It's more likely you might be doing things like traffic control at the scene of a, 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 some kind of emergency. Uh, if you have specialized skills, they, they could use you as well. If you uh, are a mountain climber, a hiker, scuba, things like that, they, they do have teams that include volunteers for, for those kinds of rescues as well. Uh, so you know, foreigners tend to be keyboard warriors. Here in Taiwan, you know, all foreigners like me, we all have opinions about what's best for Taiwan. And actually, a lot of us should just shut up. But here's a chance to actually put up and, 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 and actually do something. So, again, uh, you could go to my Facebook and see the flyer there uh, for, for how to uh, uh, get more information about joining the fire department. Anyway, Xiao, putting Ross's plug for himself away for the side for the moment there. I mean, do you think more cities and county governments should set up similar operation centers? 
Oh, definitely. And but the, the work does not stop just at the the city governments. I think um, in Taiwan there's really a buzzword for uh, civil defense. Everybody should get in on on the effort. Especially, I'll just mention two organizations that that's putting up real good efforts in this respect. One is the Forward Alliance uh, by the uh, Inagu Uinong. Uh, their organization is putting uh, forward classes to prepare for emergencies, uh, especially the uh, the to try to stop blood loss to resuscitate CPR, that kind of classes. Uh, and also the uh, Kuma Academy, uh, Heixiong Xue Yuan, uh, the uh, chair by uh, Puma Shen, uh, they are offering classes as well. So I think Taiwanese people has been really, really uh, into this idea of self-defense, especially uh, borrowing from the Ukrainian uh, violent resistance to Russia. So I think that this is really good work. So we should all, all pitch in into it. And before we go this week, China Airlines on Wednesday unveiled Taiwan's first Pokemon Lyrid aircraft, which has been named the Pikachu Jet. Now, the A321neo is being touted as the most colourful livery in the history of the airline and is scheduled to make its maiden flight from Taipei's Sungshan Airport to Tokyo Haneda this coming Sunday. Now, according to the airline, the Pikachu Jet painting process utilised 36 different types of paint to cover the fuselage with pastel orange, pink and violet. Now, 11 Pokemon characters are featured, while an Easter egg of Pikachu and Shaymin also appears above the cockpit window. So, of course, Xiao, this comes along the line of Hello Kitty aircraft. Taiwan now has a Pokemon or Pikachu aircraft. Apparently, but, um, but you know, my allegiance is with the Hello Kitty. I'm, I'm not a Pokemon guy. Oh, so you won't be taking, you won't be, you won't be taking the Pokemon uh, I don't think so. And, Ross, of course, Taiwan does love a colourful airplane. I think we should ask uh, Senator Graham of South Carolina his opinion because he seems to have a a large amount of influence in in what uh, China Airlines does with its aircraft considering he came to Taiwan and right in front of President Tsai said, I hope you buy the Boeings, part of which are uh, manufactured in my state. And lo and behold, a few months later, uh, China Airlines did buy some Boeing. So uh, maybe, maybe we should defer to the people who really uh, seem to have the influence, or in this case, maybe Japan uh, uh, had some direct influence on what the livery was painted as. But we've got to get to the crux of the issue here, Ross. The important question that everyone wants to know, are you a Pokemon aircraft type of travelling guy or are you more of a Hello Kitty airline travelling guy? Uh, I'll confess that um, I, I prefer... Uh, uh, Changrong. Uh, so I, before COVID, uh, the place I visited most frequently was was Hong Kong, and I generally preferred uh, to go on on, on EVA. Uh, but I would never make an effort to check. Uh, which aircraft was flying, whether or not it was their Hello Kitty aircraft. I mean, you can check beforehand, right? Uh, I didn't make an effort to check. I was just looking for the most convenient flight time for my own schedule, and there was you know, eight or ten flights every day. But uh, when I boarded the plane and heard that music, because there, there's the Hello Kitty songs are playing on every monitor, uh, seatback uh, monitor when, when the passengers board the plane, I have to say, my heart sank because I knew that for the next hour and 40 minutes, I'm going to see Hello Kitty on screens next to me. Uh, I'm going to get the Hello Kitty fork and knife with the meal and the Hello Kitty cookie and, 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 and the flight attendants are going to be wearing the Hello Kitty uh, aprons and there's going to be some 
people traveling you know, in the next seats who are going to be losing their minds for the next hour and 40 minutes taking photos and, and you know, asking me if I could give them the, 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 the fork or the knife or the spoon with the Hello Kitty logo. And, you know, I really just want to take the cake and smash it over them. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan of this only because I, I have no interest in Hello Kitty or, or Pokemon and I find it a bit annoying. And that flight should have been far longer as far as I'm concerned, Shao. That should have been a flight from here to maybe America. To eternity. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Shao Xin Chung. Good night, everyone. And by Ross Feingold. Have a good weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.